0: Welcome and greetings, career minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. Hello. Happy fall. Happy football season. Happy upcoming Thanksgiving. Last week, I told you guys that I am uh, in the throes of a viral upper respiratory infection and laryngitis. So I'm recording this one minutes after I recorded the last one. So if you hear it in my voice still, that's what's going on. Today, I want to talk about what's really going on with the glass ceiling. So this episode may sound like it's just for the women, but it's really about not only women, but people who train, coach, uh, hire, mentor, manage or supervise women. And then it's also about people who know women. So basically everybody, I think that for the dudes in the, in the group, this is going to be a real uh, interesting kind of, maybe an eye opener for you. If you're not familiar with the term glass ceiling, here's a definition. An unofficially acknowledged barrier to advancement in a profession, especially affecting women and members of minorities. And the term most often applies to women and minorities, particularly women minorities and, and Caucasian women as well. Some of the research I saw seemed to say that male minorities didn't suffer some of the same issues. So I'm going to really be talking today specifically about the women issue, minority and non-minority. So there are definitely statistics that bear out the presence of the glass ceiling. So it is a real thing. And I pulled some of these from the Center for American Progress. So women earn 48 percent, 48.5 percent of all law degrees, yet only 22.7 percent of law firm partners are women and only 19 percent of women of all equity partners are women. Women earn 47.5% of all medical school degrees, yet only 16% of permanent medical school deans are women. Women earn the majority of doctorate degrees in the United States, yet only 32% of full professors are women, and just 30% of college presidents are women. 61% of accountants and auditors are women, 53% 53% of financial managers are women, and 37% of all financial analysts are women, yet just 12.5% of all chief financial officers, CFOs, are women. There's also a pay differential, which I think we all know of, but I wanted to give you some stats. So when it comes to twenty, the 25 to 34-year-old range, so 25 to 34, the men... In the women, the differential is 15%. So women are making 15% less. And in case you're interested in the, the average amount, the average pay for men in that age range is 45604 For women, it's 39676 So it's about 15% less. When you go up to the next age bracket, 35 to 44-year-olds, women are earning 27% less than men. Then you get to the 45 to 54 range women are earning 30 percent less than men so as you can see that differential increases as they go through their career There's also some interesting kind of micro aspects of the glass ceiling that I want to mention briefly. These are some terms that I was not familiar with and and found interesting. So there's the glass escalator. And what they found is that men that are entering traditional female held jobs, so think like nursing or teaching, grade school teaching, they progress faster and make more money than women in those same fields. So that's called the glass escalator. Sticky floor Research shows that women are slower to begin to climb the ranks in their field than men. So I'm going to circle around to that concept um, from the angle that I want to take today. So that's the sticky floor. The frozen middle is kind of that. You get to a certain level, women do, and then they kind of stop. Their, Their career climb freezes in middle management. Second shift is the idea that women in in traditional roles often have sort of a second job when they go home, particularly if they are parents. So they've got all those motherhood jobs, motherhood and homemaker kind of things that are still lingering. Many times more of that is on the onus is on the woman. And so that's called kind of second shift. And you can imagine how that would affect your ability to work some of the hours that would be required to move up the, the corporate ladder, and also your ability to be, you know, fully present at work. And then the mommy track, which I think we're all pretty familiar with, but it's the idea that women are either leaving the workplace during child rearing years or they're taking part-time jobs, lesser jobs, so that they can be home part of the time with their children and, and kind of the effect that that has on them later in their careers. So here's where I want to go with this information, particularly thinking about that sticky floor and the frozen middle. So at least some of the glass ceiling has to do with how women present themselves in the workplace. Now, I am not in any way discounting or ignoring the fact that many corporations are led by men who want to hire other men. So these are corporations that don't value a woman's contribution as much as as a man's and they will either overtly or covertly punish women who want to have children or discourage childbearing. But there's another aspect to this, and this is the the piece that I am seeing in my practice basically on a daily basis, and this is women who just don't know how to present themselves as effectively as men do. So if you think about kind of what's in your realm of control, you can't control corporations, you can't control You know, if there's somebody at the top who's a misogynist and wants to hire only other men. But what you can control is how you show up at work on a day after day basis. Now, the problem here, as I see it, is that a lot of it has to do with kind of from childhood, men are raised to be the strong, unemotional earners and women are raised to be the nurturing caregivers. And that I see still today. Certainly it was very much the case when I was growing up at, at the age that I am. But even today, some of that still kind of inadvertently lingers. And there's tons of research around, as of today, female students that don't speak up as much in in school as their male counterparts. I definitely saw that in higher education. That's the reason that the case is made for all-girls schools is because they feel like they're kind of on a level playing field. They're not having to compete with the boys to get recognized and get attention in the classroom. So I want to drill down to some of the specific situations where I see my women clients lag behind their male client, my male clients. So number one is in achievements. So often the women that I work with want to minimize their achievements. So that either comes in the form of they downplay what they've achieved, right? So we're talking, I'm pulling these achievements out of them, say for their resume, and they're really not giving me the full story. They don't think it's a big deal. They don't even recognize something. They'll just mention something offhand and I I just jump on it because I realize how amazing it is and they didn't even see that it was an achievement. They thought it was business as usual or they have this vague recollection of something that they did five years ago, but because they weren't kind of on top of it at the time, they didn't keep a record of it. They don't remember the specifics and so it's very hard for us to make a strong achievement statement about that for their resume or for them to talk about in their interview because they don't remember the specifics. So that's number one is in achievements. Number two is in brand. So an important part of the work that I do with my clients for their job search and just for career management in general is getting clear on their brand. So we're going to figure out what do they bring to the table that the other candidates in their space would not bring? And what is their secret sauce? How do they do it differently than other people? And that self-knowledge is critical in developing their resume, their LinkedIn profile, and their interview answers, right? And as well as how they show up to work on a daily basis. So women often see their unique value proposition as anything but unique. They just kind of see, this is what I do, right? I'm just kind of blah, blah. And they tell me very matter-of-factly, and I recognize their greatness in in it, but they didn't see it. They didn't see the genius in it. The third way that I see this show up is in the interview, which is directly related to number one and that recognition of achievements as such. But I often see female clients kind of not, um, in addition to kind of not talking about their achievements, they often are less confident in telling the interviewer why they think they're the ideal candidate for the job. So that the piece of that is, I, I think I'm the ideal candidate because of these achievements. I think I'm the ideal candidate because of my brand. And I think I'm the ideal candidate because of kind of these personal qualities that I bring to the work and then they they aren't necessarily as skilled or as fluent in backing up those, um, those statements with examples that will be compelling to the interviewer. So one of my favorite interview questions when I'm training my clients is I will say, why should I stop the hiring process right now and offer the job to you? Man, men can give me an answer to that one on on balance. There are always exceptions, but in general, men can do that so much better than the women can. And you can see how that would really play against the women in the interview. So the next way that I see this show up is in self-promotion. In the course of doing their job, women are going to be much less likely to engage in effective self-promotion. So this is often because of kind of a current of lack of self-confidence or kind of thinking that it's kind of being business as usual, um, you know, I'm not supposed to rock the boat. They Maybe they're afraid they might be labeled with something that rhymes with witch. Um, And then they might feel like maybe in the past they have had experiences where men or anybody, but particularly men, have kind of put them in their place, so to speak, when they have attempted to self-promote in the past. So for all those reasons, they're very kind of reticent to self-promote in the workplace now. And this can look like Speaking up during meetings, making sure that you have a place at the table for important projects or meetings, right? So, you know, number one is, am I at the right table at the right time? Am I where the decisions are being made? And then secondly, am I speaking up and presenting, you know, my opinions and having a seat at that table? So I'm not just there, but I'm actually a strong presence in the room. And it can also be, um, you know, keeping a record of your accomplishments and letting the right people know about them. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, so much time will pass and you won't remember the specifics of those achievements. So that's all those are all moving parts for self-promotion. And another aspect that I want to mention on self-promotion is getting out of your department to interact with professionals at all levels of the organization. So this might be, for some clients, it might be joining, you know, the softball league or the bowling league, or it could be, you know, making an effort to have lunch with people outside of the department or joining uh, committees that will interact with other departments. But just really getting out and interacting with people so that you you are a known quantity throughout the organization. The fifth way that I see this show up for my clients is in stretch assignments. So one of the best ways for my clients to get recognized is to take on a stretch assignment that demonstrates your potential. So typically, A stretch assignment, you're keeping your current job and you're kind of augmenting it with this project that is somebody needs to do and maybe it doesn't fall under anybody's job description. Sometimes a stretch assignment can be leaving your current job for a period of time, going to do a completely different job. Maybe it's a project and then going back to your job. But I find that women are often hesitant to take on the assignments they really want And that will position them in the best possible light. And instead what they do is they kind of either keep with the same job year after year. They don't volunteer for stretch assignments or they take on ones that no one else wants to do and that don't showcase their potential, that aren't exciting to them and don't give them the potential to really shine. So that's stretch assignments number five. Number six is promotion. So because of everything I've already talked about, women are much less likely to seek promotions and raises. And if they do seek them, they often don't present a compelling case for them. So it really comes down to knowing your self-worth, knowing when is the right time to ask for that promotion and what is the case, what will resonate with my boss in terms of seeking that promotion and that raise, what will will, um, resonate with them. So I've presented a lot of challenges for the women in the workplace. So I wanted to give you 12 tips for women to help address the glass ceiling. And again, these have to do with the things that are in your control because the things that aren't misogyny, for example, you can't do anything about that, but you can show up as the best version of yourself. So number one, when you're thinking about changing jobs and you're researching companies or maybe responding to a job ad, I want you to really look at who they've hired already. Look at their corporate, you know, their C suite, look at their senior executives. Oftentimes those pictures are on their website. And if they aren't, you can get their names and you can look them up on LinkedIn and see what do they look like. Or you can just do a search on that company on LinkedIn and see what, what, What does the employee pool look like? Is it diverse? Are they hiring women? Are women in the top ranks? Um, I've been actually appalled sometimes. I will be researching a company for a client for various reasons. I have to go on to company websites and I need a piece of information about the company because I'm creating the the, um, resume for the client. And I will notice what they apparently didn't notice. And then you'll have like, here's our, meet our team. And it's all the C-suite. So all the, you know, CEO, CFO, CIO all those people and then maybe like vice presidents and there's not there's no color there's no females in the bunch and I wonder if they realize what a message that's sending so you can really get a sense of are they are they walking the walk and not just talking the talk because they can say all they want about diversity but if you look at that picture and you don't look like any of the people in that picture that's going to be a real clear signal to you of what the actual practice in that company is second I want you to utilize Glassdoor.com is a great source, your personal connections, anything else you can use in terms of intel and making a decision about who you want to work for. So beyond just what is the complexion, so to speak, of the senior staff, I want you to really look at you know what are they saying on Glassdoor? Are women getting promoted? Are women being left behind? Is there a, is there a corporate culture that is at odds with the career goals that you have for yourself? Um, and it can it can look like a lot of different things, but you just want to make sure that this company is, according to its employees and according to kind of experts looking at it, it is espousing the values that you that you want. Number three. I'm going to say this one, of course, get help from a professional like me for your resume, your LinkedIn profile, clarity around your brand, your interview skills. When it comes to your marketing documents, one one of the phrases that we often use in coaching is that you can't read the label of the bottle you're in. And so it's very difficult to look at yourself objectively, especially as a woman, and see what do I bring to the table? One of the comments I get most frequently from my clients when they see their new resume is, oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I would hire this person. And and it's them. And they had never seen themselves in such an amazing way. And the feedback that I will give them, and and (laughs) anybody who's ever worked with me knows that I don't blow smoke up anybody's skirt. So if I don't think they're absolutely amazing, I'm not going to say they are. I will point out things I think that are great about them because I think everybody that I work with has that. But when they are truly freaking awesome, I'm going to say that. And boy, I can just see their confidence go up and having the confidence around your interviewing skills Uh, one of the comments I get most frequently from my clients about my interview coaching is that the real thing was much easier and my analogy as I have said a number of times on this podcast is it's like that donut that they put on their bat when they're in the on deck circle and they swing it around they take it off they go up to the plate and their bat feels like it doesn't weigh anything at all and that's what I'm trying to achieve with my interview coaching So I think all of the confidence boon and just the knowledge that you've got a kick ass resume, there's so much to be said for that, a kick ass LinkedIn profile. So I think working with a professional, a credentialed professional like myself is huge. So that's number three. Number four ladies dress the part from the interview on i'm not saying that you have to be buttoned up in a suit every day that may not be the corporate culture that you're in at all what i am saying is dress the part so whatever the part is and the kind of rule of thumb is you want to dress one level above what your current job is so you don't want to look like you're brown nosing but at the same time. You don't want to hinder your chances for promotions or you're out somewhere and you end up with an opportunity to talk to a potential employer and you're not dressed apart. So just really give some thought to that because I promise you that the the way of the universe is it's that one day that you wear the stained t-shirt and the ripped jeans that you have a great opportunity and it passes you by because you're not dressed for it. So that's number four. Number five, hire a coach, right? So what I've talked about previously in number three was the professionalism that I bring with the interview skills, the brand, and I am a coach. What you may want is a coach who will help you with some of these areas right so maybe you recognize that you suffer from self-confidence and you would like to hire a life coach maybe you want to hire a business coach to help you with some of the business skills that you're lacking in relative to your job performance so obviously when you're hiring a coach step one is to figure out what is it specifically what's my problem what's the question that i want answered and then you hire accordingly and if you need some help with that one i'll be glad to give you some referrals Number six, get a mentor. So separate from your coach, you want a mentor who may or may not be in your company, but someone who you can go to and kind of sort things out. And I, I always think about my friend, Judy, when I think about mentors, when I first went to Truman State University, I, you know, I was a thousand miles away from my old home. I didn't know anybody there other than the people I was meeting there. I didn't know anybody when I, you know, started working there and Judy was in my division, but in a different, completely different function, different office, you know, different part of the the campus. And she had been there forever. And so she was so valuable in kind of giving me the lay of the land. So we both had the same boss and I could go to her and say, you know, this happened, what do you think? What do I do about this? And she knew our boss very well. And I found that super helpful. So that was the what I needed a mentor for. Other people need it for kind of professional development. How do I kind of show up as a professional in this role? How do I navigate the politics? Whatever it is you need a mentor for, you want to make sure that you get the right kind of mentor for that. Number seven, keep a brag file. I recommend a combination of a computer file and a a paper file because some of the things that you're going to want to put in there are going to be in paper form like a certificate of achievement or something like that. Um, unless you want to, you know, scan them in there. But you want some kind of a file so that as you're having these achievements, that you're keeping the metrics and the specifics around those achievements. So as you go to update your resume, you're going to have that information handy and you're not going to have to go scraping around for it or you're not going to have lost it. Number eight, put networking on the front burner no matter what. So I talked last week about spending 15 minutes a day on LinkedIn, and that's a piece of networking for sure. But I also want you to think about in-person networking. So getting out, having cups of coffee, having lunch with people, meeting people across your, within your department, across other departments, other companies. Um, And it doesn't just have to be, you know, in-person meetings. It can be, you know, let's have a phone call or it can be, you know, going to group networking events like the Chamber of Commerce, but really making that a, a weekly at least at minimum doing something every week so that your network is continuing to grow and it's not it's not kind of waning and and if you hear me say nothing else today please hear me say that networking is not something that you turn on like a switch when you're job searching and you turn it off once you get the job it should be a day in and day out activity because it is it's building on itself. You want to be able to help other people. Even if you don't, you're not looking for a job, you're not looking for a promotion or whatever. You want to be networking so that you're helping other people. And then when you need the help, they're going to be there for you. So that's number eight. Number nine, if your boss isn't willing to advocate for you, get a different boss, right? So when I say advocate, I'm talking about if you have a boss that by every possible indication is keeping you wants to keep you in the job that you're in does not want to help you get a promotion does not want to see you move elsewhere in the company for whatever reason then you want a different boss whether that means leaving the company or going somewhere else but if you have tried to work this out with your boss in whatever way is available to you and it's just not happening then you need a different boss. Number 10, set professional goals and create an action plan that will guarantee the success of those goals, right? So those goals could be an additional amount of, you know, education. I'm going to talk about that in a minute with continuous improvement, but maybe it's education. Maybe it's, I want a certain job by a certain date. Um, you know, there's a skill that I want to develop. There's a person that I want to get closer to, whatever it is, but set some specific goals. And then what's my plan for getting there? Because remember a goal without a plan is just a way right so get a plan calendar it in and you want to guarantee that that goal is going to happen Number 11, get feedback from individuals you trust who will be honest with you about how you're showing up at work. So if it's anything from, you know, my appearance to the way I speak in meetings or one-on-one to um, how I interact with um, superiors, how I interact with direct reports, if you have direct reports. So these are people who are seeing you in the work environment but maybe aren't Directly um, affected by the work that you do, they are a colleague in another department or something. They're not, you know, you're going to get an honest answer from them. They're not, they don't have an agenda of their own that they're, um, that they're working off of. They will be truthful with you. And then finally, number twelve, commit to continuous improvement. So whether this means I'm going to continue get a, a master's degree, I'm going I'm going to do continuing education, non degree seeking. I'm going to get a certain credential or I'm going to get the next level of the credential that I have. I'm going to develop a certain skill. I'm going to take on stretch assignments. But really that continuous improvement that your boss can see that you are doing your part to position you for whatever is next in your career. All right. I hope this has been helpful. And as always, I want to be your career coach. So use the link in the show notes if you want to talk to me about the next steps in your career. And we can talk about what that would look like to work one on one with me. Uh, my email address, if you want to reach out to me that way, is lisa, LESA, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. Find me on Facebook at uh, exclusivecareercoaching. Find me on LinkedIn at lisa Edwards LESA. Find me on Instagram at lisa.edwards. I think